Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast Minisodes. Today's letter comes from someone who is just going by the letter A, the initial A. They write, Hi, I recently found your podcast and have been pouring through it, debating whether or not to send an email because I've really never talked about how I really feel about the church. Well, I'm glad you did send an email. Thank you. Uh, I know it was sent a while ago, but still appreciate it. Thanks for waiting. (laughs) I'm a guy who grew up Catholic and converted to Mormonism when I met my ex-wife. We married quickly, I converted, and we were together for many years. I tried to be excited about it at the beginning. It's in my personality to go full tilt and perfect shit, so... There we go. I would spreadsheet the hell out of my callings. Wow. The whole time, though, it just felt weird. I wanted my family to be together forever, and I operated very much from a place of fear, tapping into that sweet spot and foundation of Catholic guilt. Ugh. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine I, you know, we like we've talked about, Sarah and I grew up with the Mormon guilt and shame, but we know Catholic guilt is real, and so I can only imagine how that would compound to have Catholic guilt and then layered on top of that the Mormon guilt and fear, like you were saying. You want your family to be together forever, don't you? And in worthiness interviews, I certainly fudged the truth because I was never really mentally or spiritually all in. Once I had kids, all I could think was that I had to do it for their own salvation, though I'm not sure I really actually believed it. It was more of a safety thing. In case it was true, I needed them to be okay. Alright, so I'm going to pause here because this reminded me of something that I don't know if we've touched on on the podcast, and that's something called Pascal's Wager. So Pascal's Wager is an argument, a philosophical argument that was presented by French philosopher Blaise Pascal. I think I'm saying his name right. (laughs) But anyway, this philosopher Pascal, he, his argument was essentially that people should live as though God exists and say that they believe in God just in case. So like you were saying here, a like a safety net. And Pascal's argument is that if God does not actually exist, then whatever. The person just lived their life as if God did exist. But if God does exist, then after they die, they'll get all the rewards they'll get that eternal salvation. And in in Mormonism, you get the celestial kingdom. But there's a lot of problems with this argument, right? Because firstly, if you live your life as if you believe in God, it's not like you're you're not losing out on anything. You, you lose out on a lot of stuff. And especially in Mormonism, you lose out on your freedom of even something as small as what you wear because of your garments. You lose out on 10% of your income. You lose out on coffee and tea. You lose out on your own time on Sunday. And also, if 
you really start to believe it. It really does cause fear and anxiety and it can really disrupt your life if it's not something that's beneficial to you, which it wasn't for almost all of us that are listening, right? So, but another thing is, is that this wager, Pascal's wager, is just, to me, I don't buy it because, first of all, there is no proof that God does exist. So why would a rational person believe that just in case? I mean, we we know why. It's because of the threats, like you were saying. But there's no proof of that. But also, you know, from my perspective, I can't just say, I mean, I could say here, I can say, I believe in God. I believe in Heavenly Father. I believe in heaven. Now, I said those things. I said that I believe them, but do I actually believe them? No. No matter what you say, you can't force yourself to believe something that you don't actually believe, right? It would be faking it. And Honestly, that seems like you're almost trying to fool God (laughs) into into really not believing, but you're just going to say you do just in case. Um, (laughs) uh, Richard Dawkins actually argues that this would be dishonest and immoral, and that in addition, it's absurd to think that God, being omniscient, would not see through this strategy. You know, like oh, you don't actually believe in me. You're just saying you do just in case. (laughs) Anyway, it's a really interesting philosophical thing to look into if you're interested in that. But I, I know many people who have, who have believed because of this. And a lot of it is truly fear-based, like you were saying, because especially when your family, your children are involved, you don't want to mess up their eternal salvation. And Logically, you're thinking, this can't be right, but then you're surrounded by people who believe it, so what do you do? That's a hard situation. Okay, back to the letter. As a result, I spent years just suffering, feeling like I had to just make it through life. Sucky feeling. Oh, yeah. I quote-unquote repented for something that happened to me when I was younger, basically being told that being hurt by another person was my fault that I asked for it because of the way I lived prior to joining the church. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I, the, the amount of times we hear things like this is heartbreaking. And my, uh, I, I don't have any words. I know that nothing I can say can make this better for anyone who's experienced that, but, uh, it's just truly awful. And I hope you all know now, I'm, I really hope you do know that nothing is your fault that has happened to you, especially when you're young. <sighs> okay. About 10 years ago, I gave up on church, but continued to attend because I was surrounded by people who did, including my spouse and kids. And again, I was scared about what would happen to my children. It was all appearances. I gave talks and had callings, just saying what I was supposed to. It felt like garbage, and I felt worse and worse about myself. You know, this makes me think, I bet there are a lot of people like this, like you, eh, that are still going to church that don't believe, but they're just keeping up appearances. I bet it's way more than we even realize, you know? 
than we could even guess. Then I stopped going about half the time. I'd find a reason to stay home. I became the designated sinner who would go pick up takeout on a Sunday for family members. Oh, how funny. <laughs> I've kind of become that person. I, uh, when I visit my family sometimes, if they need something from the grocery store on its Sunday, I'll go, <laughs> I'll go get it. <laughs> About four years ago, I told my then wife I wasn't going anymore. And then just before the pandemic, we divorced. Yay, just in time to be stuck at home for now over a year. Ugh. I have since taken up drinking coffee and alcohol. Rosé, can a dude be a basic bitch? <laughs> yes, you can. Welcome to the club. <laughs> and I'm finally finding my inner accepting, liberal self who was there when I was a teenager before all this started. There's really nothing remarkable about this story. I know that so many people deal with this very thing, but I'm finding that recovering from the years of shame, guilt, and lying to myself to be tremendous. I carry so much of this with me into every interaction with every person, wondering if I'm good enough or worthy of anything. I still don't sleep well, awake and worrying and wondering how I can become secure enough in my own skin to be with anyone else in a relationship again, which is so infuriating. All this to say, thanks for the podcast. It helps to feel not so alone. Uh, yeah, um, I almost choked up there reading that last part. The, the recovery from the guilt and the shame and the lies, it is ongoing and it's still still there for me many, many, many years out. Um, but I relate so much to what you said about carrying this with you into every interaction and analyzing and wondering if you're good enough. Even though, you know, I work on trying to actively tell myself that I am worthy and no one else can tell me if I'm worthy. When you've been subjected to something for so many years and you, you kind of become conditioned to think that you aren't worthy and we know we all are, which <laughs> we got to remember that, but I know it's really hard and I know it's difficult because it's a daily, it's a daily struggle to remind yourself that you don't need to be <laughs> afraid of all of this judgment and, and fear of being unworthy. Um, but it sounds like you've made steps towards what's better and more healthy for you. So I'm happy for that. And I'm really grateful that you wrote to us and that you found our podcast. All of you are really incredible humans. And uh, Sarah and I really feel lucky to be able to get to do this. Um, that's all for now. But I'll be back next week with another story for you. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Talk to you later. Bye.